1: a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org/podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support
2: from KQED. This is the California Report Magazine. I'm Leslie McClurg. I cover health for the show, and today I'm in for Sasha Coca. We're gonna look at an epidemic that was raging during COVID. More than 93,000 people died of a drug overdose nationwide last year. That means an average of 250 people dying every day. Overdose deaths soared 29% last year to a record high. The country set some really grim records in 2020. More people died from opioids like fentanyl and stimulants like meth than ever before. The opioid crisis continues to spiral out of control, and San
3: Francisco's Tenderloin neighborhood is at the epicenter.
2: San Francisco is a relatively small city compared to New York or Los Angeles, but surprisingly, its overdose death rate is three times higher than either New York or LA. Nearly three times as many people in San Francisco died from drugs than from COVID last year. And so I really wanted to see this problem firsthand. I visited a hospital near the Tenderloin.
4: Typically, an overdose patient comes in from the community on an ambulance. You know, we get a ring down saying somebody was found who's not breathing, who's blue. That's Dr. Joanne's son. She's an ER doctor at St. Francis Memorial Hospital. It seems to me that they're mainly overdosing on fentanyl. A lot of times, they don't even realize that what they bought off the street was fentanyl. Their intent was actually to do crystal or cocaine. She says fentanyl is driving the crisis. It's
2: a synthetic opioid that's up to a hundred times stronger than morphine. It's now entrenched in street drugs. And that means more and more people are unknowingly buying
4: contaminated drugs. Hi, I'm Dr. Sun. What happened today?
1: Thought we were getting something else and we got a little bit of fentanyl. And what were you trying to do? Smoke crack.
4: Smoke crack. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm.
2: For decades, the state has punished people who do drugs. But the war on drugs didn't work. And so in recent years, policymakers have been switching gears by recognizing addiction as a disease needing medical attention. On today's show, we're going to hear from doctors, from caregivers, and people who are struggling with addiction.
4: They're all involved in these two new statewide programs that are becoming models for the rest of the country. I see us as a bridge. I definitely see us as a stabilizer. That's first and foremost, and that's every emergency department. We make sure that you're stable. But then I also think of us as a bridge towards social services.
2: Dr. Sun's hospital, St. Francis, is part of the first program we're going to explore. It's called California Bridge. And it's all across the state, from Reading to Fresno to San Diego. It's pretty hard to believe, but treating addiction in a hospital is actually rare and quite new. So the program
4: has a two-pronged approach. First, ER docs are trained to dispense medication to treat opioid use. It definitely takes away any withdrawal symptoms you feel, which is the main motivator of trying to get a hit again.
2: Yet, historically, ER docs have not given out medicine to treat withdrawal. For example, when I visited St. Francis, a patient there with a substance use disorder was in excruciating pain. He was writhing on a gurney, and he was so delirious he had to be restrained by an EMT. In most hospitals across the country, the doctor might have given him something to settle his nerves, or maybe something for his stomach. And then once he stabilized, he might have been just sent on his way. That was standard practice.
5: Essentially, you would get handed a piece of paper, and that was your referral to your treatment. And good luck. That was essentially it.
2: That's Christian Halosian. He's a substance use navigator with California Bridge.
5: Please don't come back to the emergency department. This was kind of the way that patients were treated.
2: And I imagine then that turns the whole system into a bit of a hamster wheel, right? Then patients are back on the streets and then they're back in the emergency room and back on the streets. and back. Exactly.
5: They're going to crash land into your emergency department, not because they want to, but because they almost have to.
2: California Bridge is designed to break this cycle by medically treating opioid withdrawal symptoms inside the ER rather than sending these patients somewhere else. The other key component of the program is assigning each patient a care coordinator to make sure that there's a strong handoff to long-term treatment once they leave the ER.
5: Just letting them know, we got you. We're gonna try and do the most for you right now.
2: Christian can help in lots of different ways. Maybe he might help a patient get signed up for insurance or fill a prescription or connect them to a treatment facility.
5: That extra kind of hand-holding that these patients need to really start that journey of recovery, and you have a disease, we're here to help you.
2: The pilot program, which started three years ago at eight different hospitals, including this one, it worked so well that the state then invested another $20 million last fall to expand the California Bridge model.
5: Patient presents with mild opioid and benzo withdrawal sy- uh, symptoms, irritability, tremors, sweating, last use: fentanyl, crack cocaine. And now 144
2: sand. hospitals all across the state have a navigator, someone like Christian. He works at Highland Hospital in Oakland.
5: Welcome to Highland.
2: Highland is a huge hospital with a packed ER. Christian points to one of many posters displaying a phone number.
5: And this is the key to life.
2: It's the substance abuse hotline, and most hotlines connect you to a random operator. This one is extremely personal.
5: It's connected to my phone. It's connected to all the patient navigators. Patients can call or text us.
2: We turn down a hallway, and Christian opens a cabinet filled with fentanyl testing strips.
5: So Narcan, clean needle kits.
2: Narcan is a nasal spray that's really easy to use. And it can reverse an opioid overdose instantly. Usually, patients have to go to the pharmacy to pick up Narcan on their way out of the hospital. But they often forget. And so Christian hands it directly to patients. He says that simple shift, it makes a pretty big difference.
5: We we give them out to every patient with substance use disorder, or they can request them. We'll go see this patient in room 17.
2: We're going to meet a woman who just received an opioid withdrawal medication, and it's the cornerstone drug of the California Bridge program. Knock, knock. Miss Collins? Hi. Are you okay? Uh-huh. Her full name is Sonia Collins Rochelle. She's probably in her mid-60s. She slowly nods and then she tries to push herself up on her elbows.
5: Would you you like me to raise the the gurney on you? you.
2: Once she's elevated a little, Sonia kind of straightens her headscarf and then she pulls up her white bedsheet to reveal a really swollen ankle. She explains that she fell down recently and then she had to have surgery. And then her doctor prescribed morphine for her pain and then she ran out of it.
5: So you started getting nauseous and you started having a runny nose.
6: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I've been sick, throwing up
5: out of
2: both ends. You had a seizure
5: uh, during uh, bingo? uh, Withdrawal symptoms, opioid withdrawal symptoms, classic.
2: In the past, Sonia might have gotten, say, Tums or maybe an anti-nausea medication to make her feel better. But today, a doctor gives her a drug called buprenorphine. It's also known by the brand name Suboxone.
5: You know, very similar to morphine. It's a lot safer, though. Okay.
2: So Almost I... immediately, Sonia brightens up. The drug treated her withdrawal symptoms, and it may have done even more.
0: That was a really big intervention on reducing that person's risk.
2: That's Monish Ullal. He's an internal medicine doctor at Highland and a substance abuse expert. He says giving Sonia buprenorphine could help avert a long-term addiction
0: a huge proportion of patients that we meet here, you know, they were started by the healthcare system. They had a pain condition for which they got prescribed oxycodone or Norco, hydrocodone, whatever it is. And then they developed dependence and their doctor continued it because that's what we told doctors to do for many, many years. And that was like supposed to be good care.
2: And the pharmaceutical industry told doctors, this was okay. Drug companies highly underplayed how addictive these opioid medications were. And so patients would end up getting hooked and then they would run out of their pain meds.
0: And then they turn to heroin or buying pills on the street or fentanyl or what have you, and then we meet them. It's a really, really typical story. Huge, huge proportion of our patients, that's exactly what happens.
2: In Sonia's case, they caught her really early in this cycle, so she's not likely to go down that path and need long-term treatment. Instead, she's prescribed a low dose of buprenorphine that she can slowly taper off.
5: And that's our number right there, okay? So, and I'll write it down for you as well,
2: okay? Okay. I hope you feel better. I hope I feel better, too. Sonia's a pretty unusual case because she'll likely recover pretty easily. Most of Christian's patients are a lot tougher because they often have to take an opioid alternative, something like buprenorphine or methadone, for life.
0: Why'd you come here today? What can we help you with? Oh, well, my sobriety, you know. To get clean, basically just to get off of heroin and meth. Great. So, yeah. Great. Drew
2: is 36 years old, and he lives on the streets. He often lands in the ER after an overdose. He's what some people might call a frequent flyer. We're only using his first name because of his illegal drug use. California Bridge is pulling out all the stops to help him recover.
0: This is methadone.
2: A doctor delivers Drew a couple of blue pills. He kind of winces as he chews. It
0: doesn't taste good
2: at all. How important would you say that medication is to staying off drugs or to your treatment?
0: To be honest with you, and I'm not gonna lie, no, I would have um, definitely um, stayed using drugs. I wouldn't see the point or like put myself through that, mm-hmm. the withdrawals, you know, and feeling dope sick. And, and I feel like, you know, the option of methadone or Suboxone is helping a lot of people get off the drug. Cause it's pure health for me. I don't know about other people, but I, I, I experienced withdrawals for like forever, forever doesn't, yeah. Drew's
2: eyes kind of roll back as the methadone starts to hit, and he slumps a little in his seat. Dr. Ulal says today is a success, because every time that Drew takes an opioid alternative, it means he's not injecting heroin. That's why medically-assisted treatment is a key bridge tactic and part of a statewide push to make it way more widely available.
0: It lowers mortality risk by about 50%. There's very little in medicine that has that big of an impact on a person's chances of dying.
2: Studies show that patients who receive opioid meds in the ER are twice as likely to remain in treatment a month later compared to someone who receives a referral. But what's crazy is that only 3% of ER docs in the U.S. are trained to dispense them. Both patients and docs are skeptical of these opioid alternatives.
0: Patients will ask, how long am I going to stay on this medication? How soon can I get off? And then doctors are asking too, aren't you just replacing one drug for another? They're stuck on the buprenorphine too.
2: But Dr. Ulal argues that that's the case for a lot of diseases like high cholesterol or high blood pressure.
0: People will start those medicines and not bat an eye when they take it for the rest of their lives because there's benefit from the medicines and the benefits outweigh the risks. And I would say it's the same thing with this medication with buprenorphine.
2: He says it's treating a substance use disorder for exactly what it is, a brain disease that requires specific medication. California Bridge is training ER docs across the state to dispense it on demand. After visiting the ER, Christian takes me downstairs to the Bridge Clinic. This is where a patient can start long-term treatment. And the clinic is right inside the hospital. And that's key because it's a lot easier for patients if services are all in one place.
5: Other slammed.
6: super popular with down here on plane.
2: People who do drugs are often battling numerous health issues.
5: Now we can wrap around your care. We can get you into the HIV AIC clinic. We can treat your hep C downstairs with your substance disorder co-concurrent.
2: And social workers are available to help folks, say, find housing or navigate a child custody case. And clinicians see about 800 patients a month who are addicted to everything from cocaine to opioids to Xanax. I chat with a man, his name is Jose Martinez. He's sitting in the lobby while he's waiting for a therapy appointment.
5: So I come here for peace of mind and to get my gears straightened out because I got a couple of loose marbles upstairs.
2: He attends both individual and group sessions to improve his mental health and work with his trauma.
5: I grew up in uh, South Central Boyle Heights in LA. My mom got shot in the head, 1994,
2: LA riots. Jose says he often drinks a liter of vodka a day. He says he's landed in the ER four times in the last six months. So the sooner that Jose turns his life around, the sooner he'll stop using the ER when he's in crisis.
1: I need help. I want help. You can't just do it alone. You need a whole team.
2: A team that believes in you, even when you're messing up over and over. The road to recovery is long and it's fraught, and it takes a really special person to help someone break their addiction. As I visited these different hospitals, I met someone whose story really sticks with me. She's a counselor at California Bridge. This is not a
6: field that I thought of in my junior high school plan.
2: And before she had this job, she also struggled with addiction. And her goal now is to build patients up rather than to break them down. I want somebody to be able to
6: walk in that door and not feel alone and not feel judged and kind of know, hey,
2: I can relate. Her name is Monique Randolph, and she works at St. Francis. She's one of 144 substance use navigators all across the state. And people like Monique are really crucial in making California Bridge work. They use the acronym SUN. I'm the sun, and I love that name. <laughs> Monique tries to flip the script that people with addiction issues are so used to hearing from people in charge. You know, when you're in jail, when you're in
6: programs, when you're here at the hospital, they tell you, take your meds, follow up with the doctor, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that. In my role, it was, how can I help you? Do you know saying that to someone is life-changing sometimes? How can I help you?
2: Sometimes she helps patients find a safe place to sleep, or maybe the number for a domestic violence clinic, Not everyone she meets is ready for change, but Monique always tries to leave the door open.
6: Here's my card if at any time you change your mind.
2: The program's only staffed from 9 to 5, and Monique knows her patients need services at all hours. But she really tries to do all that she can with the time that she has. I'm looking in the mirror at what I used to look like,
6: and they're looking at me as a mirror of what they can become.
2: Occasionally, Monique will share her story with a patient to build trust. I snorted
6: heroin every day, every day. Monique
2: sold drugs and she robbed stores, all to support her habit.
6: But deep down inside, I was just so rotten. My family didn't know for years. It was just my little dirty secret.
2: She tried to quit many times and there were stretches of sobriety, but they never really lasted. I'm like, I just can't seem to get this together. Eventually, she landed in federal prison for stealing, and she left her five-year-old son behind. When I came home from prison, I went to a halfway
6: house for a little while, and I got me a job, but I didn't have a home to come to.
2: Fortunately, that's when she found a program for women and children.
6: And someone helped me, and they didn't judge me. They helped me make short-term goals for long-term success. And it's been 17 years. I'm not going back.
2: Monique has since dedicated her life to helping others overcome addiction. About 40% of hospitals across California have hired someone like Monique through the California Bridge. And the goal is to enroll all remaining hospitals by 2025.
6: (laughs) Okay, thank
2: you. I'm still around, okay? (laughs) Okay. The medications that are the cornerstone of the California Bridge model are total game changers, but they only work for opioids, not stimulants like meth. There are no FDA-approved medications for meth. And my colleague, April Domboski, covers health for the California Report, and she's been following this for the last few years. So I wanted to bring her in here. Hey, April. Hey, Leslie. So can you kind of lay the landscape for us? What's the state of meth use in California? Meth is a huge problem.
3: Last year, more people died from meth and cocaine overdoses than fentanyl. And meth addiction can just ruin people's lives. And it runs up enormous costs, not only for the healthcare system, but also jails, courts, and foster care. And there's really no medication that can help these folks? Why is that? Meth is really different from opioids. We all have opioid receptors in our brains. And medications like buprenorphine target those receptors to stave off cravings. But stimulants like meth and cocaine affect multiple parts of the brain. There's just too many targets. Right. Researchers have tested dozens and dozens of medications for meth, but they can't find one that really works. So then where does that leave folks who do meth if they want to get off the drug? It kind of leaves a lot of them in a place of, why bother trying to stop? Wow. I was talking to Kelly Pfeiffer. She's an addiction doctor who now works for the state's Department of Healthcare Services. That's the same department that runs the BRIDGE program. And she told me that for people who use opioids, there's an awareness of medications like buprenorphine. There's this understanding that at some point I'm going to get help and cut back. But for meth users,
4: it's the opposite. There's a lot of hopelessness in the community using stimulants, a lot less belief that treatment will help them. That's really sad to hear.
2: I mean, is there anything that can be done to help? Well, just like the BRIDGE
3: program, the state is now planning a massive investment in a new treatment for meth addiction. It's not a medication, it's a behavioral treatment, and it's kind of unusual. The state wants to pay people who use drugs not to use them. I wanted to understand better how this works. And so I talked to somebody who's been through the treatment. His name is Billy Lemon. He lives in San Francisco. And for 10 years, he was deep into meth, both using it and selling it. At one point, he was shipping pounds of drugs across state lines.
7: I would get bread bowls and I would hollow them out. I would line the inside of the sourdough with meth and then cover it back up and shrink wrap the bread and then send loaves of bread with some accoutrement from Fisherman's Wharf so it looked like a care package to people in Boston. And then they would literally send me 15000 $16,000 in 20s or 100s via FedEx.
3: Billy was arrested three times. He spent time in jail. But that never motivated him to stop. He almost got put away in state prison, and that scared him enough that he stopped selling methamphetamine. But he kept using. To actually quit, he had to hit rock bottom.
7: You know, there was a suicide attempt at Pier 23. It didn't happen that day.
3: That's when he begged a friend to help him get into rehab. And the day he went to the treatment center, he showed up with nothing but the clothes he was wearing and a backpack.
7: With zero money, literally zero money, not even a dollar. I didn't even have a cell phone.
3: Two days earlier, Billy was walking by a park and threw his phone in the trash.
7: Because I was, I had made the conscious decision to shut all those doors completely and, and open new ones at whatever cost and however hard that was going to be. And it was hard.
3: Billy grew up in a family where no one talked about anything.
7: My dad drowned when I was five. My mom and I never talked about it until I was in college. She never even mentioned his name.
3: Suddenly, he was in group therapy, where he was expected to openly discuss his trauma and shame and self-loathing.
7: It was, it was, uh, yeah, it was hard.
3: But once he got a taste for talking about what was really going on, he was all in.
7: I kept telling myself to look at recovery like a master's degree, like you're going back to school. It was
3: like he got addicted to recovery.
7: And so I was gonna do rehab, and I was gonna do two 12-step meetings a day, and I was gonna do outpatient treatment at the same time.
3: Billy went to the San Francisco AIDS Foundation to see what programs they had on offer. And they told him about a special treatment they did there called contingency management. Basically, if Billy stayed off drugs, they would pay him. Three times a week, he came in and peed in a cup. Every time he tested negative, the counselors would put $7 in his account.
7: And for somebody who had not had any legitimate money without committing felonies, that seemed like a cool thing. After three months, those payments could add up to $300. And so I was like, yes, yes, I want that.
3: For Billy, it quickly became about more than just the money. It was about being told, good job.
7: It was the first opportunity where I was like, I have self-worth still. It's buried. This person sees it and is willing to give me $7 just to take care of myself. That was very motivating.
3: Now Billy could feel himself getting hooked on this. The legit dollars, the pat on the back.
7: And so once you get a little bit of a taste of that um, for an addict, we want more of that, right? And we want it all now.
3: And this is how contingency management works. The incentives aim to rewire the brain's reward system so the person seeks the money or gift card to get a dopamine release instead of meth or coke.
7: And you're like, oh, 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 I can feel good without the daily use of that substance. Oh, I, maybe I should, let me try and go one more week. And then all of a sudden you're at 90 days and you've actually, you've made a change. But the treatment
3: is controversial. Critics have scoffed at the idea of paying people not to use drugs, calling it unethical or a bribe. Most insurers don't cover it. Neither do state Medicaid programs. The feds generally forbid them from offering financial incentives to patients as a protection against fraud and waste. And yet, studies show contingency management works. It's not that different from an incentive program to lose weight or a gold star chart to get your kid to do their chores. At the San Francisco program Billy Lemon did, 82% of participants stopped using meth or reduced their use. And this is why State Senator Scott Weiner sponsored a bill that would allow the state's Medicaid program to offer this treatment, potentially reaching hundreds of thousands of low-income Californians. Weiner was actually surprised the bill passed the legislature with near unanimous votes.
0: The Republicans love it, which I don't think they would, but they actually like it because... There's an abstinence
6: component to it, right? It's like we pay you money and you abstain from using.
2: The
3: governor has the final say on the bill, but the state can still move forward if they get the okay from the feds. California officials have already asked for permission to offer contingency management, and it looks like the Biden administration is going to say yes. It will be expensive, but California's Dr. Kelly Pfeiffer says in the long run, the state will save money.
4: High stimulant use means a lot of people involved in the criminal justice system. Instead of treatment, it means foster care placements instead of children staying with families.
3: It ruins people's teeth and lands them in the hospital with heart attacks. Which are obviously not only devastating to the person and the family, but very expensive for our healthcare system. Piper says making contingency management more widely available will make more people willing to seek treatment. Because people will see success stories. They'll see friends and family getting treatment and getting help and and getting better. For Billy Lemon, contingency management was just what he needed to jumpstart his recovery and to stay the course in rehab. When he got his $300, he bought himself a cell phone.
7: Because uh, up until then, Breaking Bad style is burner phones, right? My number was never the same.
3: Now, nine years later, he's still sober, and the number he got with the phone paid for with contingency management money is still his number.
7: It's a nice reminder of what making good decisions for yourself can turn into
3: where California is now with contingency management is not that different from where we were five years ago with buprenorphine. People were alarmed by the idea of treating drug addiction with another drug. But now, thanks in part to the California Bridge Program, it's routine in California. As contingency management rolls out over the next few years, maybe it won't seem so strange to pay people who use drugs not
2: to use. That's April Domboski, and I'm Leslie McClurg, and you're listening to The California Report Magazine. Today's show is edited by Julia McAvoy and Sasha Coca. Brendan Willard is our sound engineer. Our team also includes Amanda Font, Lisa Morehouse, Haley Gray, Victoria Malione, and Hector Arsate. Sasha Coca will be back with us next week. This is The California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories.